four of the most dangerous words in the English language, I, I say, is I already know that. And when I'm explaining things to people, and I used to be like this, I remember I went to a seminar once and the, the guy on stage said, you know, lots of coaches out there in the audience, lots of people who know everything. But the thing is, when you get caught up, let's say the, the speaker says something incorrect or he quotes the wrong person or he says the wrong statistic, you latch onto that or or he's about to explain something and you go, oh, I already know all this. I don't need to learn, listen. Yeah. Then you get caught up on that and you miss everything else that comes after it. Welcome to the Mindful Paths podcast with Nick Day and Harry Kalimnios, where we explore the fascinating worlds of mindset, mindfulness, fitness, well-being, vitality, leadership and personal development. Our goal is to provide you with the insights to help you live a more fulfilling, happier and healthier life. If you're striving to be a better parent, friend, leader, colleague or boss, or if you simply want to be more mindful and aware of the world around you, then this Mindful Paths podcast is for you. We invite you all to eavesdrop on our conversations and we challenge you to discover a new insight to help you on your own journey towards personal growth and positive change. So sit back, relax, and let's begin our journey together on the Mindful Paths podcast. Hi, how you doing? I'm good, mate. How are you? I saw you did very well in your Ironman. Yeah, it was, yeah. You know, a week ago or so now. Yeah, it was uh, it was hot. 36 degrees. It was hot. It was hot and something you can't really prepare for in the UK. But yeah, no, it was good. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. We can get into it for sure. Did you um, did you ever get did you ever get the cordyceps I mentioned to you last time or not? I didn't. I did have a look. I'll, I'll admit I had a look. I'll admit it was a brief look. And I found it online, but it was never going to get to me here. And after the debacle of okay. getting like le- le- set of Lego sent to me okay. with seven quid and spending forty quid in import charges, I thought I'd wait till I get back to the UK. But um yeah, no, it was it was a good race. It was 36 degrees. Uh, didn't quite get the time I wanted. I was hoping to go under five hours, end up being five hours, five minutes. Um, but I lost oh, five minutes in the swim. So um, that's probably where it went. And uh, yeah, you were saying they, they threw a curveball at you. They did. I mean, um, I've never done any triathlon or Ironman events. This would be my sixth 70.3, and I've done three full Ironmans and obviously multiple triathlons as well. I've never done a non-wetsuit swim of a distance that's over sort of one, one and a half K. Um, and on the day of the race, so as me packed my wetsuit, went down, um, typical preparation that I usually do. I hadn't really gone into the race briefing or looked at any of the details. And apparently at this particular race, um, over 25.4 degrees, there's no wetsuits. So I get down there and so they, they announced it's a non-wetsuit swim. Slight bit of panic. Uh, for those that listened to previous episodes, we'll know I'm not the most comfortable in the water anyway. Um, and... I was like, ah, okay, that's fine. I'll be no wetsuit, which means I lose the... Bo- I'm a poor swimmer, so it means I lose the buoyancy. Wetsuit gives you lots of buoyancy, which reduces drag. So I was a bit concerned about that. And you just feel a little bit more safe in a wetsuit when you're going into unknown waters yeah, and because the extra buoyancy makes you just feel yeah. in the water. So, uh, yeah, that was a bit of a setback. And it cost me because I was the slowest I've ever swam that distance ever um, and had a bit of a panic attack. As it was well, about close to a panic attack, maybe not quite that bad, but in the water as well, kicked in the face, lost my goggles, nose clip disappeared to the yeah. bottom, uh, bottom of the sea or the or the lake, and um, try every time you try to get your, your goggles back on, there's kind of another foot that kicks you in the head. So you kind of you you're trying to get water, you, but every time you try and breathe, you're taking more water on, and because you're in race mode, your heart rate's up anyway. So had a bit of a panic in the sense that I just couldn't get my breath back, couldn't get into any kind of stride. It was in the first two, three hundred uh, meters of, of the race, and I was like, "Ah, you know what?" And funnily enough, for anyone that followed me on Strava for that, you'll see I only recorded the first hundred meters of the race because basically I got kicked in the face, 
stop my my watch meaning to pause it and end up ruining all of my data tracking so i had no idea for the rest of the uh, the swim how fast i was going or how far i'd gone with a little alert set up so kind of everything went wrong in terms of preparation couldn't use my wetsuit mucked up my timing a little bit of a panic attack lost my nose clip i hate swimming without a nose clip and i had to reposition my goggles whilst uh, whilst taking on water so all being considered i was actually pretty happy to get it done but I lost five minutes in the water. I ended up finishing five minutes, literally 5.05.07 was my time. And I wanted to go under five hours. So um, I was five minutes and 48 seconds over my usual swim time. So I feel mm. like that cost me my target time. But hey, you know what? It was a beautiful race. Countryside was amazing. Challenging bike course, uh, over a thousand meters of elevation, over 90K. And then a half marathon in 36 degree heat. Uh, that was te- well, to be fair it was probably a little bit less than that it was 36 in, in peak time of the day I finished before peak mm-hmm. time so it's probably more like 32 33 degrees but it was hot it was what, hot what do you do your half marathon and marathon times in when you do these uh triathlon Ironmans so it? without any triathlon just running flat my PB for marathon is 250 uh in a in an Ironman my best is 330 so in a half iron, my PB within an Ironman competition, so post-ride, post-swim, is 133, which I did in Utah. Um, but I ended up doing 142, I think, 143 this year, this time. So I lost lost a few minutes on the on the run. Uh, actually, the first, the first lap, yeah, so I went around really quick. First lap, I was 40 minutes, and I was like, oh, I'm bang on. So I, yeah, about 40 minutes to the first 10K. And I was doing really well, running sort of four-minute Ks. And then the... the I don't know if it was so, you know, a lot of this this kind of racing is mental anyway. And um, I don't know if it was mentally I lost it or the heat or the lack of training or whatever, but I absolutely faded badly on the second run. Second half of the lap just uh, just faded, ended up going down sort of five and a half minute Ks. Um, so, yeah, finished in 5.05. But you know what? I, I wasn't really racing for anything. So I was happy to get it done. I enjoyed the day. I was supported by my friends, Neil and, uh, Neil and Alex and, and Lucy and, and the kids. So, um yeah it was good man it was good i was there i only really raced because my, my one of my best mates neil was racing the following day to do the full iron man abishi so he actually had to do a marathon in 36 degree heat and i you know that was testing so i was a little bit for me thankful that i was doing the half not the full um yeah that it was good it was good and a couple of setbacks i mean i know you, you always talk about aura rings and uh and the recovery yeah stuff. i'll give you some interesting data so i've lost my aura ring for those that listen to this regularly will already know that but i haven't found it yet but I do get my HRV score and a little recovery thing on my Garmin. I've got Garmin Fenix and uh, Fenix 7. And in the morning of the race, and interestingly, it's probably the only time I've gone into a race where I literally felt nothing going in. I was pretty like, don't really feel anxious, don't feel nervous. I've also done a few of them before. Wasn't racing for anything. I wanted to go under five hours, but I've gone under five hours several times before. So if I did or I didn't, it didn't really matter. I didn't really feel anything. Anyway, I looked at my mm-hmm. HRV score. It was up. At, it was a four AM start. It was a six forty race start, but I had to get a shuttle bus to the, to the venue. So I woke up at four AM. So obviously, your watch is never going to give you the best kind of preparation score. Yeah. It's the lowest I've ever seen it. It gave me a, prep, a readiness score of one out of a hundred for the day. Oh my god! <laughs> I've never seen a one. Literally never. Although well, that doesn't bode too well for today's effort. And my HRV was really low, like the lowest it's ever been. It, but, and, and the advice my watch was giving me was rest day. Do not exercise, just rest and recover. And I was like, okay, brilliant. So that's that didn't probably set. It was interesting because the, these these bits of data are really useful in learning in top how to manage your body, right? But when you haven't yeah. got a choice, we've always got a choice. But when you yeah, they're not useful on the day of the race. 
No, well, they shouldn't be. It doesn't put you in the best mindset space. We're talking about you know, mindful pass here. Think, okay, I'm ready for race day. Let's get it on. And you read that and you watch yeah. it. Oh, now. And you instantly feel more tired. You instantly feel like you're not yeah. ready because the watch has told me so. So I had to kind exactly. of ignore the data to a certain degree and, and just just blame it on the fact that I'm up at 4 a.m. and it is what it is and go. And yeah. I can't I've never seen it. And it's. I wondered to myself, had it given me a readiness score of 99, would I have raced any differently? Would it have changed my performance? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I feel like it had a little bit of an impact. It's good that, that these things are pretty... Pretty bang on. I mean, one to me showed maybe indicates that the watch was faulty because I, I find it crazy that it gave you a score of one. <laughs> I, I could expect like six or eight or ten or something yeah, like that. One still like it's yeah. not working or something. But yeah, my my score gave me a score of eighty something today, which is good. I still feel a bit tired, but the last two days have been um, kind of in the sixties. I've had like a couple of late nights and I would normally have a bit of alcohol. Um, which always mucks things up massively. I mean, just for those listening, it, for my lowest heart rate, it will make a difference from whether it's in the low 40s to in the 50s. And normally my lowest heart rate won't change by more than one or two beats uh, over over the course of a few days. Um, so alcohol really, really screws with it. Um, but, I mean, in terms of the topic of today, um, you, well, I, I was talking about maybe overcoming setbacks. You were talking about setbacks that you had earlier on in the race. It might be quite interesting to talk about. And I think you were going to, you, you mentioned something earlier about, um, oh, oh yeah, small was, things. That was it. You were, so, dealing with, you were talking about dealing with setbacks, right? And I, I had one, wasn't So I'm out here in France, been here for a month. Uh, it's my dad. We have a big sort of uh, party for my dad and 80 guests. Uh, so from your beat model, like filling the community bucket, filling the, filling the social bucket. We've been out with all my family, family I haven't seen for years, many of them cousins, all people we got on really well with. Um, they put on a cabaret show. We've had live music. We've had wow. gig, gigs. Uh, all of all the family members that play musical instruments, including myself, have been up on stage. And it, it's been alcohol now solidly for at least the last... So this is all post-Ironman race. So get back from Vichy. And since I've got back six, seven days ago, all we've done is drink every single night. They've got a bar here. It was, uh, my uncle bought a 72 keg of ale and... We've been drinking. We had two nights of solid partying with the cabaret show and everything else. And I haven't been to bed earlier than 2 a.m. in yeah. the city. So that's pretty late anyway. Plus, because we've got so many guests at the house, I'm in a room with my wife, two dogs, and both my kids. So you broke oh. yourself. It's broken anyway. you got to let the dog out every, you know, I've got a 16-year-old dog, so every two hours he wakes up and he's just scratched the door. Yeah, so it's kind of all a bit broken sleep anyway. Oh, my God. And then you're up early because people are up. You can hear them outside. Coffee's being made. You don't want to stay in bed too late because you know, you've got your family. So it's been amazing for filling up the social bucket, that energy bucket of getting all that social energy and, and, and yeah. reconnection. But it's been massively detrimental in the sense that I've been drinking way too much alcohol, going to bed way too late. Eat, but your diet goes out the window. And a little bit yeah. as like post-Ironman now, it's like I can kind of do what I want. I'm not racing for anything. I'm not training for anything. Yeah. Let it all go. But now, I was five, six days in, I am feeling absolutely exhausted. And you talk about setbacks. Well, last, the last, not last, not today, but yesterday, day before, there was a setback I had to deal with, which was we think initially I thought it was food poisoning. Um, we think now it's not because people have been getting sick later. But I know that uh, the norovirus has been quite big in Salisbury, where all my family are from uh, recently. Um, and I think someone's brought it over from Salisbury to here. 
because mm -hmm. I would say 30% of the group here have gone down with, with it, including myself. And night before last, I spent the whole evening on the toilet and we were, thing is, I was on it and other people were trying to get in because they were suffering. We were kind of swapping oh, a horrendous, horrendous night of just, uh, without getting too graphic, uh, fluids coming out of places in, in, at, at rates that they shouldn't. And um, it was pretty messy. So no sleep at all that night, just just crapping through the Arbor Needle for most of it. Uh, yeah. Really, really, really rotten. Um, I'm, out, I'm over it now, but of course it hits you. It just hits you. And I was saying to you earlier, like you, you become really thankful for the small things, like really yeah. thankful that some people here are staying in tents and yurts. And my parents have put on mobile toilets and all this. It's been a we've called it the family uh, and friends festival. There are enough people here. They've got mobile loose and everything. We become really thankful for having a room in the house with a toilet just outside and toilet roll. And yeah. when, at times when you really, really need it, there are definitely things that I take for granted on a day to day basis until you need it every yeah. time. And they're like, oh my God, oh my God, thank God there's enough of it. Thank God I've got my own little share. And, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah. We don't realize some of that. I mean, I remember, I mean, I've had lots of different experiences throughout my life where. I've reflected on on those sorts of things. I remember, I don't think this was the first one, but one of the earliest ones. I don't know if you know this story or not. I, I might have told it. I, I tell it almost every day when I teach in the schools. And it's when I did my Gold Duke of Edinburgh Award. You know that Duke of Edinburgh Award scheme? I that, do. That yeah, thing. you have told me, but I don't think you've told the audience. So crack on. I know. Yeah, so the, it's basically we had to do this hike. And, um, and it's a four-day hike over wild country in Wales. And we got... And we started doing this hike, me and my mate, and then five other random people. And the first day was really horrendous, right? It got rain, lost, stuck in bogs, like my shoes got soaked through. And then on the next morning, and also what happened is actually we we couldn't find fresh supply of water. We didn't realize during the whole hike that we had to find water. And so we ran out of water and we had no water purification tablets. And we were in this bog at the end of the day, picked up this bottle of water and it was like green swamp juice. Couldn't bring ourselves to drink it. And so I went to bed hungry, thirsty, couldn't cook our food because we needed water. Next morning, I wake up and I'm so thirsty. And all I've got on me is I'm carrying around these four cans of beer on this trip. So I open a can of beer at 6.30 in the morning, take a swig of it. And then I'm just like, I want to throw up and be sick. And then I said to my mate, I'm just going to quit. And when the guy comes, I'm going to just jump in the van with him. And in the end, my mate convinced me to do about 15 minutes of walking uh, and just take one step at a time. And then after 15 minutes, the guy still didn't turn up. So my, said, my mate said, I'll just do another 15 minutes. So I did another 15 minutes. And luckily, after you know half an hour or so of walking, the clouds started to part, the sun came out, clothes dried. And even better still, we found this fresh supply of water. And so in the end, we did this hike uh, successfully for the next uh, three days. But... I really, 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 I mean, I learned a lot of things through that. Th three main things I learned was one, be prepared because yeah. I wasn't prepared. Second thing is I can get through things with the support of my friends. But the third thing I learned, which also is my main go-to method for stress reduction, is even though the rainy days come, the sunshine always follows. So I always say this too shall pass. So whatever difficult moment you're going through, it doesn't last forever because yeah. nothing lasts forever. And so, but one thing I learned to appreciate massively both then and when I later went to my two-year travel around the world, was water. And we take it for granted in the West, but over a billion people worldwide have to like travel like 10 miles or more sure. to get fresh fresh water. And I I had the experiences as a scout where you had to like hike across a field to like fill up the jerry cans and get water. 
Um, and so I had a sort of appreciation for it, but it really only elevated when I did that Duke of Edinburgh. And then obviously traveling. And even now, like when I go out of the house, my, my mantra is keys, phone, wallet, water, right? Keys, phone, wallet, water. Every time I'm going keys, phone, wallet, water. And I don't ever like leaving water because I'm, I'm super appreciative of it because um, I've gone not a lot of time without it, but enough time for it to make an impact on me. Um, and we don't appreciate those things. And I was talking to you earlier about um, putting on socks. So, yeah. like, I had so much gratitude. Like, so for those of you listening, in 2004, I went on this snowboarding trip. And I, long story short, I inadvertently eventually found out that I'd fractured and dislocated my shoulder. And um, as part of the treatment for that, they were going to surgically operate, but they didn't in the end. And basically, they kept it immobilized for two months. So my, my arm was in a sling for two months. After two months, I couldn't move my arm because it was like welded shut. And so it took me about a year of rehab. And I was doing three hours a day rehab, an hour before work, an hour after work, an hour before bed. But one thing that I really didn't think about is like putting on socks, right? It's really, really hard to put on socks when you've only got one, one hand to use. And so I, I'm always appreciative of just putting on like little things like that, you know, Um uh, yeah, so I think appreciating the little things, and, and I know I've talked about gratitude over and over, and I will keep banging on about it until the day I die, I'm sure, is that is just having gratitude, because that's when I start to appreciate the little things, where you're writing in every day the things that you're thankful for, and you start to think about, yeah, I'm grateful that I can go to a toilet, or I've got an ensuite bathroom, or I've got no one else, you know, vying for my toilet time, or whatever the thing is that you might, you know, have. Hundred percent. I mean, I, genuinely, I was. Uh, it's good because you know, we, I, I love, I love the theories of positive psychology and everything else. But even when you're feeling, I've been feeling absolutely rotten, and it's coming out of, of you know, places in, in ways not expected. Anyone that's suffered from norovirus, they'll know what I'm, how it feels, right? And we're assuming that's what it was. Interestingly, before we got it, we, there was a barbecue, and the reason we thought it might have been food poisoning is um, we were cooking in the dark, so we couldn't see if things were ready. And um, we actually we ate these sausages, and we actually said to each other at the time, the three of us. You know, this is the kind of thing. Do you remember that advert? When will I see you again? I think they play that music in the background. It's just like a sizzling sausage yeah. government thing of you know, don't cook them properly, end up sick. And we were going, oh, do you remember that advert? And this is the kind of thing that make us ill. We'll probably end up with food poisoning, right? Because we can't see in the dark. And then lo and behold, four hours later, two of the three people in that conversation are in bed with with what we assume at the point is food poisoning. The only reason we don't think it is now is because since then, several other people have gone down in the middle of the day who didn't have any right. food or whatever. So we think it's a virus that's come over. But you end up going, you know what? I was trying to use all the things I have when you're sat on the loo and you're not sleeping. So you're getting frustrated that you can't sleep. You obviously you want the, you're sat on the loo. You know it's a party day the following day. She needs to get up and be sociable. And um I had to genuinely teach myself the art of of, of gratitude or remind myself mm-hmm. of what I'm grateful for the whole way through. Grateful that I'm in, in France with my family, grateful that I've got access to toilet paper, grateful that I access to a loo, grateful that I've got access to a comfy bed, you know, all those kind of things. Um and you are, and you think, yeah, and as you say, I think the saying you mentioned earlier that that this will pass. Um, yeah, it's too about, eight, about eight, eight, nine hours. I'm fine now. Um, I'm, I'm struggling from the lack of sleep. I won't deny it. But um, in terms of the illness, it's completely, completely gone. I feel back to normal. Um, I mean, and uh, also, I remember fifteen years ago when things like that would happen to me. You know, it would be way more difficult to think about that positive thing. Now it's kind of a bit more default because I've had you know, 11, 12 years of, or maybe, yeah, 12 years of daily gratitude practice. So when bad things happen or 
there is no such thing as bad or good, but when quote unquote bad things happen, I do think like of immediately something good. Like even like the other day, it's as simple as it was, and I'm sure I've given different examples, but I was coming back from the gym, bit of a marathon four hour session in the gym, but it wasn't like all gym time. It was a couple of classes, some stretching, sauna, steam, all that. But I was coming back and it just started horrendously raining on me. And luckily for me, I was like, you know, I figured it was going to chuck it down about a minute or so before it did. And then I went into a bus shelter and I just stayed there for like half an hour while it came came down. I'm like, you know, I'm just grateful that I've got the opportunity that I'm going to be under a bus shelter and not like stuck in the rain rather than, oh, I wanted to get home and do things. And it, and it really does flip your mind. And I, I think, you know, people don't really, really get it until they start practicing it and they start to implement it. And then it does... It's Rewire. a mindset shift, isn't it? Because we, you know, most humans, I think, I think I've done some studies on this, and typically that you know have eighty percent of all our thoughts are negative, right? So um, it's very easy to get pulled into a negative way of thinking. You know, one small thing goes wrong, we we start we start following. You know, the hamster wheel starts turning. We think everything else is going to follow. And we we're very we're very clever and mindful, so we can start imagining what that future self will look like or future situation will look like on a negative spin if that's the angle we start to take. So it's really yeah. we catch ourselves. We raise our awareness to go, actually, this doesn't mean anything yet. We can stop it here. I mean, the good example would be my watch on, on Ironman Day where it gave me a readiness score of one. I should have taken a, a screenshot of it. I showed my wife at the time. I was like, this doesn't bode so well. But it would have been really easy as well from that moment to go, well, that, that, the race is over. Like, I'm done. I'm done. Mm. It's not going to happen. There's no way I can beat five hours. Well, I didn't beat it. It wasn't because of the watch, just to make that clear. But there's a saying that I always tell my staff at work and I, I say to my family, it probably drives them nuts. But your your day doesn't t- dictate your mood. Your mood dictates your day. Now, yes. I watch. It could have been very easy for me to go. Ah, oh, you know, I've been this dictating how I should feel. I'm never going to make it. That's it done. Or I can change it and make sure that my mood doesn't follow that negative track. Actually, goes. You know what? I'm in Vichy. I'm in a beautiful part of France. It's 32. It's going to be 32 degrees. I'm going to see part of the country I've never seen before in a race that I've signed up for. And I've been looking forward to for months. Let's just do the best we can. And it doesn't really. Actually, the result doesn't matter. No one ultimately cares about what time I get. No listener gives a shit. My family don't really mind. They, they want me to be safe, actually. They want me to come through it unscathed, you know, and, and be healthy, and that's fine. So the only thing that really matters is whether I'm... Do I want to enjoy the race, or do I want to do the whole thing with the mindset of, oh, my watch is told me to do what I've done badly? Because actually, it would have ruined the whole day. I'd have gone it. And, it would, and, it, and I, you have to switch it over and we can do it but we've got to be aware you've got to, got to I mean, catch our awareness when we're going down those those, those something that something i posted on my instagram story the other day i don't know if you saw it or not but i, I it was some from someone else's account but um and I, i'm going to just read it out here because I, I think it applies to what you were just talking about it goes imagine this if you had eighty six thousand four hundred pounds in your account and someone stole 10 pounds from you would you be upset and throw all of the remaining £86,390 away in the hopes of getting back at the person or move on and live? Right, move on and live. We all have 86,400 seconds each day. Don't let someone's negative 10 seconds ruin the remaining 86,390. Don't sweat the small stuff. Life is bigger than that. And it's like, you know, just because you have a moment in that 10 seconds that is, you know, potentially problematic it doesn't mean that you have to then throw away the other eighty six thousand three hundred ninety seconds or something like that and i, I kind of like that um so i think um we can get caught up in that 
trap of like throwing the baby out of the bathwater, I think, and um, you know, saying, well, this is this is ruined, so therefore everything else is ruined, or taking too much stock in what one thing means at the expense of then like if you if you took in too much stock into the whole Garmin reading thing, yeah, you might not have done anything in the trial. Oh yeah. What's the point? You can very easily go into what's the point? What's the point? I mean that's why I often don't look at my aura ring if I'm gonna do a training session until afterwards. Cause I'm like, yeah. you know what, I trust my body, I trust what I feel. Like it's kind of different, like I think from you know, you contracted this norovirus maybe, but also you would put yourself in a position where you're gonna be more susceptible to being impacted by that, I imagine. Uh, well, I was going to talk about that, actually. I mean, you talk about a lot in your beat more about health, fitness. Not, not, we all, listen, we both talk about the benefits of eating healthily, healthy mind, healthy body, right? And we're both big believers in that. And it is really interesting. Like, I haven't been sick for, for what feels like... I haven't taken any day off work for probably a year for illness or, or longer, two years. I can't remember the last time I took a day, any, any time off for illness, right? Um, so it's been an awful long time. And yet, within three days, or was it, it would have been day five, of mm. 2 a.m. finishes and yeah. drinking every night and early starts and broken sleep, I've got ill. And I has a lot of the pie here that we're here. And you wonder if I, if it was, you know, if I'd been eating healthily and doing all the things that I would usually do, would I have even got sick in the first place? Yeah. Now, there's some people listening to this going, yes, you would, because norovirus is norovirus and you can't control that infection, you know, whatever you'd have got it. But actually, the way my body handled that virus number one maybe my immune system would have been stronger number i don't know loads of little things to just to think about well, maybe I, I would say to I people, earlier maybe i never would have picked up more virus in the first it, place well that's the thing like, like your immune system firstly is massively impacted by sleep right so i i, I don't actually get ill if i follow my beat model the only time i get ill is when i don't follow my beat model so for me i i did a month of that 2 a.m finishes 3 4 a.m finishes and, and stuff before i started to get ill and I think I had a little bit of something during the trip. And there's obviously a thousand people there, probably lots of COVID, yeah, lots yeah. of colds, lots of flus. But the thing is, it's never, and I try and tell people this all the time, it's never the thing. It's always the body's response to the thing. So what do I mean? Both people can be exposed to the same virus, but it's not the virus that's making that person ill usually. It's the body's response to that oh, foreign yeah. invader. Right. that is making the body ill because if that was the case if it was just the virus then you give that virus to 100 people 100 people will have the same reaction response but that doesn't happen and, and actually so, while i've got you here because it's a relevant point my wife got it obviously 24 hours after me so presumably i passed it to her would be the the obvious um assumption may or may not but that's what we think she didn't get anywhere near as bad as symptoms, but then she, yeah. she's she been going to bed earlier than me each night. I've been going until two. She's going to be going to bed yeah. around midnight. I've been drinking much more than she has. She's, she doesn't like yeah. to, 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 to take that too seriously. So she's a, you know, she'll have a nice glass of wine to be sociable, but doesn't take it too far, whereas I'll have 15 beers. And, you know, and yeah, actually, yeah. you still got the virus, but nowhere near as badly as yeah. I got it. And as you say, probably because my body couldn't react to it or wasn't able to defend itself. I mean, it's, 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 to me, it's just so, it's so freaking obvious because like otherwise and this goes into this goes into a bit more of a rabbit hole about um um pasta and germ theory and um guy called Bechon. um but we won't go too much into that but when germ theory came about about what was it 120 years ago it was like this revolution like okay germs cause disease and things like that yeah um i think he recanted that on his deathbed actually um 
Pasteur, um, but Bechamp had a different theory, which was more, it's the terrain. It's the terrain that makes makes the, the illness with the well, with the virus, right? But it's so obvious in a way, because like I said, if you give 100 people the same thing, they're not all going to get the same reaction, uh, response oh. or reaction. I call it response as opposed to reaction, because you want your body to respond to the foreign invader as opposed to react. A lot of people, their immune system is so shot to pieces. Like I said, the biggest thing that can help your immune system is sleep which is why when you're ill you like to sleep a lot because it's gonna it's gonna help build you up again so if you're not sleeping well if you're drinking if you're doing all these things i also am likely to get ill i mean like literally when i followed my beat model and i discovered this in 2000 well i started implementing it in 2011 but i i coined the phrase in 2013 um i don't think i got a cold for five years from 2011 to 2016 i don't think i had one single cold and I used to get four or five colds a year, mm-hmm. and and it and they and the penny just dropped. It's like, well, actually, you can you know you can put me in a room full of people coughing and spluttering. If I'm on form, I'm very unlikely to have the same response to that. Yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible by any stretch. I'm just saying that when the, when the terrain is right, you're going to be you know it's like it's, uh, here's an, another example. Um, you could take a seed. Right, you could take a seed and pop it in a in a in a cup, and it's unlikely to grow. Right, it's unlikely to sprout into anything. Or you put a seed and you put it in some nourishing soil. You give it the air, you give it the water, you give it all the environment it needs to flourish, and it's going to flourish. It's the same with like a virus, right? If you give it the right environment for the virus, the virus will flourish. If you give it a bad environment. The virus will not flourish. Yeah, and, and anyone who's tried to grow tomato plants, right? And I do that every year. I've been, I'm quite big into my fruit and veg, as you know. I used to have my own allotment and I've done various things. But tomatoes are right for getting, uh, God, that was a pun in, unintended, but they were, <laughs> they're right for getting different diseases. So you've got to look after and make sure you're giving the right nutrients in the soil, that you're feeding with the right bits and pieces for, for plants that you're looking after. If you don't, they might still grow, but they'll grow weak, they'll grow diseased, um, they'll overgrow because you're not pruning, you're not looking after it. And they'll wither and eyes ultimately either get very sick and produce rubbish crops or, or none at all, or they'll die. Or if they're nourished and looked after, they do really, really well. And, it, and there's no real difference there in, in terms of what you're saying. If you nourish the body, look after the body, then it'll grow strong and it'll it'll be healthy yeah. and everything else. So yeah, you, you're probably right. I probably was really ill and I I, I, I make no excuses. I thoroughly enjoyed the 2 a.m. finishes and the socialising. and well, that's it. I, mean, I just paid the price for the last 24 Well, this is what I say. It's, for me, it's never about restriction. Some of my friends are, are saying to me, oh, you know, do you not, and you, even you say this sometimes as well. You're like, oh, you're not like, um, you know, feel restricted with all the things you do. I'm not going to do the things you do like in terms of like, um, like the blue light blocking glasses, like yeah. that's an example, right? So actually, the last couple of nights, um, I, I had people over and stuff. So the first night or so, I'm not wearing the blue light blocking glasses. But then yesterday, I was like, oh, I'm pretty comfortable now. Um, and I was like, you know what? I don't want to watch TV without the glasses on. It, it irritates me and I feel too wired. So I was like, you know what? I don't care what I look like or what they think. I'm just going to put them on anyway. Um, but you do it with awareness. So like when I do my drinking or I do my late nights, I, I'm I'm aware that it's going to impact me. So I will not necessarily do it if I'm going to go and run a marathon the next day, right? Or I'm yeah. going to have a big presentation or whatever it might be. So it's all, for me, it's all about awareness because awareness brings that freedom to choose 
the response that happens. But um, certainly lack of yeah. sleep. I'm an insomniac, anyways. People know, but that's not why I haven't been sleeping. I've been sleeping because I've been drinking heavily, and 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 it's just disrupted by the the, the setup we've got here. Um, but it's amazing how much a lack of sleep even for someone who's used to lack of sleep, impacts your motivation as well. Forget the illness and the immune system. Mm, like I yeah. since, since I'm on, I haven't done a single cycle, a single run. I could have gone for one today to clear my head. And I went, you know what? I can't, I just can't face it. I'm just exhausted. Like I'm not, I'm not going to go mm. running now. And it probably you do anything. If you do anything like, like if you're not, cause you're, you go for your cycles and your runs and things, but if you're not doing that, like, have you done any, have you done five push-ups or have you done nah. some squats or have you done, London. I've played a lot of table tennis. <laughs> oh, you like your table tennis? I do. Well, I do when I'm on holidays, holiday sport. Um, but yeah, no, no, nothing like to my usual regimen. I, I, I plan to get back to it tomorrow. I think I've made that decision today. It's going to be an early night. Uh, no alcohol. Just just get reset the body a little bit today after this. Going for a walk as well would be. I mean, you I know, did I thought it was good for you and I to catch up today because I said to you before we got online and we were messaging earlier. Like, I'm not on my best today. I've I've just recovering from norovirus. <laughs> I've been hung over for five days solid. I'm, I haven't slept, but I'm yeah. human, right? We're human, and I've, I have actually absolutely maximised my social bucket of energy here by by yeah. and connecting. But I've completely neglected the other buckets, which are also super important. And it's very hard to keep them all equal all the time. And um, well, that's it. Yeah, when I get home, hopefully that social bucket will, will energy bucket will stay full for a while, so I can get back to focusing on the other bits. Um, yeah, I mean that's the thing is that, and I like I say in my talks. I always say I, I often use the phrase becoming superhuman as opposed to being superhuman because it's it's a journey and it's about becoming. But also when I say superhuman, I'm not talking about, you know, doing those marathon breath holes or cartwheels down the street that we've talked about before. It's about that normal everyday life. And and it we are human as well as wanting to become superhuman, yeah. which means we are because one of the biggest things is when you talk in health and wellness like you know I do is and then suddenly you do a podcast or you do a talk and you've got a bunged up nose and you're ill and it's like oh hang on a second can i believe anything this guy's talking about because he suddenly stood there and he's not feeling well himself it's like well we are human right we are human and like i say i am likely to get a little bit more ill if i don't do the things that i know are good for me like, and often when you do talks i remember once this was the irony actually i flew to portugal for a day to do a 20 minute talk so I got up at like, I think it was like four in the morning, three in the morning, went to Luton, flew to somewhere in Portugal, can't even remember now, got a taxi to the place, got there about an hour before my talk, did a 20 minute talk and then literally got in the cab, went back, well, I chatted to people for a bit, got back and got home about midnight. And I was physically, and I, I don't mind admitting this, I was actually ill at the airport in Faro or wherever it was I was, Lisbon, I think it was, before I got on the flight. And I don't know why, I hadn't really eaten much, but it was just a whole thing of like lack of sleep, stress of getting to the airport, traveling, all of this. And I'm like, hang on a second, I've just done a talk about well-being and being great. And actually, I don't feel that great. And the reason I didn't feel that great, and the next day I was, you know, back to it, right? I went to bed at midnight, got up at like nine o'clock, had a good nine hours in bed. I was, I was totally fine. But it was just that, Lack of sleep, the travel, being in an airplane, not being able to eat properly, all of these things that if you can't do them, are going to impact you. I think, um, I think yeah. that there's, a, there's a bigger point to play here, and it probably um, speaks volumes to the people we are and why we connect and why we even did the show, right? So Mindful Pass is about 
you've said earlier, it's about being aware of the choices that we make. We want to be able to raise awareness for everyone that listens to understand the cho- you know, why they make the choices that they do. Uh, we give we give tools like when you say yes, what you say no to, and things like that, and that's all well and good. We're both, you know, no one really knows what the meaning of life necessarily is. We take our own versions of it. For you, it's about vitality. It's about maximizing the human body. It's 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 feeling well. It's feeling safe and secure, which are really important values for you. It's um, you know, maximizing the potential of the human capacity for you, the mind, and 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 and, and all the different things that the way that you see the world and that's wonderful and i i agree with many of the things that you do and i idolize uh, and i'm envious of some of the things that you do as well you know me as well in, in the tours that i arrange which you've come with me on and you have a bit of i would say the way i see it which is different but you 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 want some of that which is life is about stories for me i'll 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 put myself in places sometimes the detriment of my health and well-being in order to yeah. create the story or the memory so here I've been on a stage. I, I tell you what, I absolutely bombed. I, so I'm not a guitarist, as you know. I, I played the drums for 20 years. I, I did trap, but I'll bring it back. And um, we had this stage set up where family members got up and did piano and, and guitar and all different things. And my dad was there. We're here for my dad, as we know, for those that listen to the show, he's, he's, he's got stage four terminal cancer. So it was a bit of a party to say, hey, Howard, we're here for you, we're supporting you, and, and so on. So he was like, Nick, you'll get up, won't you? And I was like, don't play guitar. I was like, well, I don't really play guitar, Dad. It's, I kind of play for me and I haven't picked it up for about two years. Ah, uh, go on, you can do it. You can do it. Why don't you do a Bruce Springsteen song for me? I was like, well, because I'm a big Springsteen fan. I was like, well, Dad, I don't know any. And um, I guess probably <laughs> only one I know the chords for. And I'm not a singer. My sister is a singer. Oh, go on. He, he said to me, he put me in this in this place of, um, you know, typically I don't get nervous or anxious about performing on stage or being on stage. It's not something that particularly gets me overly nervous. And he used that card and go on, you never embarrassed for anything. Come on, it's all family. Just, just get up and do it. It doesn't matter. I was like, all right, you know what? I'll do it. I'll do it. It's for my dad. I want to create a memory for him. I want to create a story for him and for me. And um, I'm always confident. Got up, got got my guitar out and um, got tabs on my phone. Had no prep. Got the, got the music up for a song called uh, If I Should Fall Behind by Bruce Springsteen. Uh, played the first few chords. Felt all right. And uh, all the mic was set up. I've got an audience of about 60, which is pretty big. And... Um, Came in three octaves, way too low. Sat, I'm like, absolutely butchered it. There was nowhere to hide, nowhere to go. People were filming it. People were videoing it. Absolutely butchered it. So much so that at the end of the song, and I finished, uh, my son came up to me and Dad, I think you're the only act that no one's clapped for. And I was like, yeah, thanks, Leo. That's, that's what you appreciate. That's nice <laughs> of him. But, yeah, that's nice of him. but you know what? It was a memory for my dad. It was a memory for me. That don't go on. Well, that's it. It's the bigger picture. Yeah, it's a big. But I want to create stories. I know. You, I know you do. Look, I need to have a little uh, disclaimer here. You don't need alcohol to create stories. That's hundred percent not something you need. But for me, with all my friends, everyone else, I got into the mode. We had we've had way too many beers. We've we've, we've done you know just being silly, having good stories, and we've created so many memories to the detriment of my vitality and health and well being and the virus. I would do it all again to be with my yeah. dad, to be with my friends and family, and to have norovirus for a day um yes i could do it differently i'm not saying one version is better than the other at, yes. at all but we're all trying to find out what we're doing but i think the most important thing that you mentioned so i want to come back to is i have done all of it not necessarily knowing i was getting norovirus but w- with awareness that yes. by the end of this i'm going to be absolutely exhausted with the end of this i'm going to yes. be hungover but hopefully there's been loads of laughs loads of fun some bad singing uh embarrassed myself a couple of times it's been full of memories that i'm going to cherish and really look after and i think for me, life is about stories. It's what we got on our deathbed. It's what we tell our kids. What we tell everyone else. It's, it's what creates legacy or whatever is important. Oh, yeah, um, I mean, actually, going back to you're talking about meaning of life. I, I discovered the meaning of life uh, a few years ago, at least for me. And 
two, I have two meanings to life. The first one is uh, to love and serve other people or to love and serve others. But the other meaning that I have is to experience it. And that, that's the meaning of life is to experience it. And so when it comes to what I do, and it was interesting you talk about values. And yes, my highest two values might be um, health and security. But I also have other values, which are on my top 10 or top 12 list, oh, such yeah. as spontaneity, adventure, sociability. And so having the awareness of those values, excuse me, so having the awareness of those values and then recognizing that actually what happens if I, all I do is live by my top values, it means I will miss out on those other experiences that are, are important to me and, and create stories and have fun and, and all of this, that and the other. And so I will sometimes say, well, no, let's just pause the, the safety one and let's pause the health one and let's pause the other one and let's do the spontaneity one. Let's do the, the social one because where was I the other day? I can't remember what it was. I, I mean, I've had a bit of a social calendar this last, I had um, a bunch of Mind Valley people over for a barbecue last weekend. And oh, this is it. You'll be very proud of me here. Oh, I know, proud of me, whatever. So uh, my mate, uh, so I, it was basically all Mind Valley people, but then I had two mates from back home that came along. And one of my good mates, Nguyen, who I've known 30 years, 35 years, I guess, um, since the age of 12. But really, we became friends when we were 15. And he came over and he bought a bottle of, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Gentleman Jack. Have you come across that whiskey? It's uh, a well, Jack I Daniels know, brand. I don't recall it, but it's quite possible that I have done because I drink a lot of different whiskeys and they're an old-fashioned. Well, it's, um, it's, a, it's a whiskey that apparently is double filtered okay. or double charcoal filtered. Oh, my God, it was so smooth. And between the two of us, from about 7 p.m. till probably midnight when he left, we finished the entire bottle, a whole bottle of whiskey between. So I had half a bottle of whiskey each uh, that night. And no hangover, actually, the next day. It was really, yeah, very, I was like, I, and he was like, he texted me the next day and he goes, I was so happy that I got to hang out and spend that time with you. And you're the last person on earth that I was expecting to <laughs> finish a bottle of whiskey with. And I'm like, yeah, because when I went into that barbecue, I was like, you know what? I had a few drinks on Saturday night as well. I was around my friend's house and um, she cooked me this amazing gluten-free vegan meal, which is probably the first time I've been bought, uh, made food for years. And so I had a few drinks with her and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to drink on Sunday night because I want to take it easy. And then someone made some smoothie with vodka in it and I had a bit of that and I had a couple of gluten-free beers and in the end, I had another drink. I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter, right? Just enjoy, feel that connection bucket, feel that story bucket, have those times. If I wanted to be super rigid, I'd be like, oh, you know what? I want to get up, I want to go to the gym, I want to be clean-headed. I would imagine in the, in the values bucket, we're probably in different orders, but probably fine across the 10. We're not too dissimilar. It's just, we, yeah, we're probably just, they're just in different orders. I think you and I see the world yeah. pretty similarly. So yes, I got on, well, two things. One is I got on stage and brutally murdered one of my favourite songs uh, by Bruce Springsteen in front of a live audience of friends and family, which I'm over, that's fine. And I can laugh at myself, which is cool. I also think it was good for other people to see me go and do that because I'd come back from Vichy and everyone's like, oh, you've done Nine Man, well done, that's incredible, la la la, for those that haven't done it. And you're feeling pretty good and you're feeling like, you know, you kind of, you, you really achieved something. And I played drums for years, so I'd been on, I'd done some, done some drumming and I was like, oh, well done, didn't know you do the drums as well, did the... But I did the guitar and I was like, oh, wow, something you can't do. Okay, that's good. <laughs> so that was, that was a nice reminder for the audience that, you know, everything you try, I'll put my hand to, doesn't mean it always works out. But what I did do, and I, I'm really proud of this, and I'm gonna, if I can get the audio now, I've just got it on my phone so I can find it, 
is after seeing me like completely butcher a song in the way that I did and and not be too concerned about it and just, you know, that it is what it is. I got up and did it. It actually inspired two other people to get up on stage, one of which was my nephew who didn't want to get up. He was desperately, desperately didn't want to get up. He was really nervous. He's been learning guitar and he's nine years old, right? Now, I had no idea he could sing. By the way, his parents didn't know he could sing. And he literally wow. brought tears to people's eyes at how good this was. Yeah. And let's see if I can find it. So he, bear in mind, he wasn't going to perform it. He did a song called Lava, which is by Moana. And I've got it here. I'm going to try and fast forward it to the end to give you a bit of an idea of how it went. Well, I'm going to go towards the end of the song because by this point, that's how it started, which shocked everyone just to begin with. Unfortunately, I think I stopped it before you got the audience reaction. I'm going to play it towards the end of the song because he actually goes not. But it, anyway, let me stay with it. It was absolutely incredible. Like the whole audience got off their seats. It was, he's nine years old and literally there wasn't a wet, a dry in the house. Like everyone was, his, his dad was overwhelmed and rightly so. Like he was so proud. But you know what? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking any credit. I don't want to take any credit. But the fact was watching me butcher a song gave him the confidence. Yeah. To go, you know what? There's nothing to lose. I'm going to create yeah. And what a wonderful moment that he created. He got up and... and, and yeah, and... I mean, you gave, you effectively gave him permission. I, often when I do... Um, the, I love with the bar, I think, is what I did. <laughs> but yeah, it's the same. Often, often, when I, often when I'm teaching public speaking to teenagers, um, we have... What happens with it is a, it's a one-day workshop and throughout the day, there's lots of activities, games and so on to get them ready. And then they do a one-minute showcase at the end of the day to the other 30 students in their class. And I found through experience that I, I choose the order of how children come up and I learn throughout the day different things about the kids anyway. And I've found that there's a certain art to picking the order. Whereas if you pick it wrong, I might end up with six or eight people refusing to get up. But if you do it right, you will get maybe everyone up. And some of it is that you might get someone up who really isn't that confident, isn't that good, or they have some impediment that is, that yeah. would have prevented them from speaking. And then someone else who was like wavering or, or really was being a bit like, oh, I don't want to do it. They see that and they're like, well, hang on a second. If he can do it, if she can do it, I can do it. You know. And I saw the reaction of the audience and they were supportive. And so I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, There's yeah, a great example that to that. Is that. If you ever got done karaoke, like you get people who will never do I'll never do karaoke. And they get up and do one song. And then you can't get them off the stage. They're there for six yeah. songs, seven. Like, I know it might be like that. <laughs> Happens all the time. I'm a, bit, I'm a bit like that. But actually, it reminds me going back to um, athletic performance. And obviously, it's a classic example that you, I'm sure, know. And the audience might have heard. But the whole Roger Bannister one, where yeah, four minute mile, you know, the no four minute doing. mile, no one had broken it. And then within weeks of him breaking that four minute mile, dozens of other athletes did. And now regularly people are doing it. And it's something about we have this artificial threshold that we perceive we can't break through. And then when someone else breaks through that, it gives us permission and it changes our belief system around what's possible. Yeah. And we're able then to do it. And it was the same thing with your nephew, I believe, 
Uh, same thing with Roger Bannister. And we see other people doing things. And we say, hey, why not me? Right? Why not me? And actually for the audience, why not you? Right? You see other people crushing it in business or crushing it in athletics or losing the weight or doing the other thing. Um, the first thing is to believe it's possible, which is one step. And then the second thing is to believe it's possible for you. And yeah. I think sometimes you see, especially people close to you doing something, you believe it. This is why testimonials are so important and so useful when, when selling products and things is because we believe people we're closest to. And you think, well, hang on a second. If they can do it, why can't I do it? You know, why can't the I do it? The biggest obstacle is really always ourselves, right? Our mindset. Yes. I mean, David Goggins always says we're only we're only we're ever operating at forty percent of what we think we're able yeah. to of. And in actually, when you and as Marines, as he had to go through the Marine training, um, you, you or the SEAL training, I should say for him, but you you push through the forty percent. That's what yeah. they do, and you realise then how capable you are. I mean, I'll give a great example. So bring it back to the Ironman race, and I did the half, and my friend of mine, Neil Adamson, did the full, and um, you know, he'd been tr training for the best part of a year. But it's very easy to train independent on things, a swim, a run, and a, and, a, and a bike. It's when you put it all together and your mind, and you've mm -hmm. been exercising for him, it took him 12 and a half hours. He was hoping to go under 12. It didn't happen on the day for various things. A, the course was harder than we'd, we'd probably trained for. B, the temperature we hadn't trained yeah. 36, let's say. For him, on race day, it was 36 degrees. Very, very hot. And you think, okay. And at the end, he was initially disappointed, I think, with the result. But actually, on reflection, you realise everything considered. He's now an Ironman. He's done what he wanted to do. He finished the race in extreme conditions, right? But on lap two of his run, and I was there, and I'd done the run bare mind the day before at a half marathon. So I was at the same stage he was, but I was finishing. He still had two laps to go. But the mindset there, every single part of him wanted to stop. It was yeah. hot. He was done. He wasn't hitting the paces he wanted to hit. He was really struggling. And I was saying to him as he was coming around, like David Goggins, 40%. David Goggins, 40%, keep going. And he was like, mm. I'll take that on board. And within five seconds, it was out the window. Like, I don't care what David Goggins does. I want to quit. I want to <laughs> quit. Because it's funny. You, you know all this stuff. But when you're in yeah, the heat, because you know it, you know really it intellectually. It's different. Yeah. It's different when it's physically. This is what I say to people. Like, for example, the, the phrase I said before to you, this too shall pass. And I said that that is probably my main go-to stress management strategy. And intuitively, I guess, or intellectually, people can accept that, right? The seasons don't last forever, right? Spring follows winter, you know, winter follows autumn, autumn follows summer and so on. So we kind of know that. And I knew that phrase intellectually. And it was only when I did my 10-day Vipassana meditation, which is this silent meditation retreat that you go to and you, you do 10 to 12 hours a day of meditating, 10 days solid. You're with other people, but you don't ever look at anyone in the eye. You're not making eye contact. You don't even hold the door open for them if you're walking somewhere because you're supposed to be there in your own experience. And in that experience, you spend, like I said, 12 hours a day meditating. And some of those meditating hours, three of them in one hour chunks, are spent where you're not allowed to move a muscle. So imagine you're sitting there and you've got yourself into a position and then all of a sudden you get like an itchy nose and you desperately want to scratch that itch and you can't scratch it because, I mean, you could, but then it defeats the object of the whole, like not, not moving. And what you notice is that after a few seconds, right, you sit with it, you observe it, you don't have a craving or an aversion to it and it goes. And then a, a moment later, another sensation will come up and it keeps happening for that hour. And then your back is hurting and this is hurting. And what you do notice, and I came out of that experience and I learned many things out of that experience, but one of them was this too shall pass, but not on an intellectual level. 
you learn it on a cellular level. And you also learn that you would never do this again. Because I, I think for me, I that's mean, absolute torture. I get the lesson. It was the hardest. Honestly, honestly, I mean, I haven't done the level of events that you've done, but I've done, you know, I've done a triathlon. I've been to Everest Base Camp. I've done Machu Picchu. I've done Kilimanjaro. I've done skydiving. I've done bungee jumps. I've, you know, done a few things. That was hands down the hardest experience. Yeah. I'll, I'll take an Ironman any day over over 10 days of, of not speaking. It is. I, I wanted to quit every single day I was in there, right? I just didn't because I decided before going in that I was going to complete it no matter what. But it's hard. I mean, you're getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning. You start meditating 4.30. And you're pretty much going on through on and off until 9 o'clock at night. And it is hands down the hardest thing. I would kind of like to do it again in a way. Um, often people go back for more. Then there's a more extreme version, like a 40-day version that you can do. Uh, a bit like Jesus when he went to the the, the, the caves or whatever, the, the desert for 40 days. Uh, but it's it is life changing. I, I would I came out of that thinking I would love everyone on the planet to experience that. And it's free, right? You pay by donation at the end to pay it forward for the next person. So it's totally free. You can do it all around the world. And it's a meditation that the Buddha developed 2,000 years ago, two and a half thousand years ago. A lot of it was lost in Burma and came out of Burma again in the 1960s. And it's, um, yeah, you, you spend the first three days literally checking the sensations around your nose. And you get to the point, because you're so in tune with your body, that you can almost sense your individual atoms in your body. That's how sensitive you become to what's going on in your body and you notice as you scan through your body um resistance or you notice tension and you sit with it and it and it kind of dissolves and then you find something else and you find something else but one thing it did teach me was that everything passes right broken bones good times bad times aches pains even the universe isn't going to last forever they say time so it's, you know, as you always say, cliches are things you need to listen to. I mean, I want to go back yeah. to Neil because uh, I, I feel unfair if I didn't finish his uh, his endeavour. But uh, yeah. that too, he did manage it. It was about, one, as you say, one foot in front of the other, this too shall pass. And, yeah. and it did for him. He, he did complete it. He managed two of the most arduous laps I've seen anyone run in severe heat. And he um, he got it done. Um, but it was so bad. I mean, literally, he collapsed at the end and taken into the health tent with heat exhaustion, all that, that stuff. You know, he was really... <laughs> was, it, it, the thing is, all that will pass. But he got it all done. He got it done. And, and he'll, um, get the med- and he'll have the medal and he'll have the medal forever. And he'll have that. Exactly. And the story and the memory. And and and, I, and he'll be able to recall that as well, like you have. So you know you could probably do the 40-day one because you got through the 10-day one. But like anything, it's like exposure therapy. Now he's got mm. through that. When he comes to another one, he'll be able to, to, to go back into his experiences to understand, actually, I've been here before. I understand what this pain feels like. I wanted to quit then. I, and I want to quit now, but I know then I finished and I'll finish now. And yeah. you can all of that experience. So I think it'll give, and I think he recognised well, it'll give him lots of lessons. Um, gave me lessons watching him as an observer, right? Because I've been in these races. Well, actually, actually, I've never watched someone else finish one. And it's inspirational stuff. So, I mean, we I talk about this all the time, but I mean, it's still, I'm learning things all the time. Last week, I was uh, staying with, uh, in Brighton, I think I explained, we, were, we had this Airbnb, my younger sister just gave birth to her second child, little little niece uh, called Phoenix. And we went and met her. She was only a few days old. But my parents had this Airbnb nearby. And in the Airbnb in the garden, it had like a hot tub and it had a big trampoline. And I do trampolining or rebounding every day, but not trampolining. It feels different. So before, uh, not before school, but before the summer club, I was taking my nine-year-old niece to. She came out, she was staying around the house. 
the previous night and she was on the trampoline and then she was doing front flips on the on the trampoline and then she wanted to teach me and I was like I'm a bit kind of cautious when it comes to throwing my body around because I've had that knee injury I've had neck injuries and in my head I was saying I can't do that I'm not going to do that and bless my niece Nikita and she she was like okay let's start like this so she got me on my knees just bouncing and then doing a forward roll then you bounce and do a forward roll and then you kind of bounce and kind of do almost like a, a forward roll, but without touching. And then you stand up and you hold your hands behind your legs. And then I did a front flip like that. Then I did it a front flip properly and landed. I, I posted it somewhere online. I have to send it to you. And and it shifted. And I told her, I go, it shifted my mindset. Because in that moment, like 10 minutes earlier, I was like, I don't think I could do it. And there was a belief inside of me that I couldn't do this. I'm like, I'm 46, well, 45 45-year-old man about to become 46 on a trampoline with a nine-year-old and she's teaching me how to do a front flip and I'm like super cautious about it. And then within 10 minutes, my belief about what I could achieve shifted and I was being taught this by many of my good teachers are children, to be honest. A lot of the beat model came from children, um, including babies. As You see the my, my niece Phoenix breathing and she's yeah. breathing correctly. You know, like we were talking about last time. So I learned a lot from children, but I was just like, it, it stuck with me all day. I was like, you know, this is a belief I had that I couldn't do something. And I teach this to people all the time, but we still have these things ourselves. And here's this nine-year-old teaching me that actually it is possible. And a part well, of that was... You can go both ways, can't it? So we, can have, we have limiting beliefs in ourselves. And we, as you, we yeah. talked about at the start of the show, how, how our mental the mental blockages to performance or to anything that we, you know, if we can unlock the mind, we can, we can achieve great things, become superhuman, but also we can, other, others can often fall foul of the fact that we think we've already mastered something and then we haven't. And we think we, you know, we, we get showy and we've done this that, and the other, and suddenly something's taken, you know, the, the, the carpet's taken from beneath our feet and we're suddenly don't know how to handle it in that situation. And yet we haven't, because we never, been given a difficult situation to deal with we we get lost and we think yeah. we're perfectly and we, we're the best at what this is i don't know it's uh yeah you, you could be harry kane for spurs and you score or now at Bayern munich scoring multiple goals and then suddenly you, you have an injury and you come back and you can't quite do it anymore and you, or it's your mind that takes over are you still good mm-hmm. enough you have all these doubts and all these different things but i think it can go both ways which i think is um interesting not just limiting beliefs but it's we can be too confident that we've already mastered a skill that actually yeah. takes skill of life takes a life to, to, to master, right? And often we oh, start... Yeah. I mean, I remember four of the most dangerous words in the English language. Is it four? Yeah, four of the most dangerous words in the English language, I, I say, is I already know that. And when I'm explaining things to people, and I used to be like this, I remember I went to a seminar once and the, the guy on stage said, you know, lots of coaches out there in the audience, lots of people know everything. But the thing is, when you get caught up, let's say the, the speaker says something incorrect or he quotes the wrong person or he says the wrong statistic, you latch on to that or or he's about to explain something and you go, oh, I already know all this. I don't need to let, listen. Yeah. Then you get caught up on that and you miss everything else that comes after it. And I've, I'm very much like that. My niece, bless her, she's nine years old. And I said to her, but this is before she was coaching me. I said to her the day before, you need to learn to be coachable. And she goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, when people give you coaching or give you advice, you don't have to accept it, but take it on board, test it, sit with it, try it out, and then decide to adopt it. Whereas she has a tendency to go, I already know that. I know how to do that. I know that. And I'm like, you do and you don't. 
and just be open to that. And I thought there's so many similarities with me as a, a child. And even now, I'm, I'm very much like that. I'm like, I had this incident last week with my dad and spaghetti, which I don't know if it's funny to go into, but he wanted me to, he wanted me to drain the spaghetti. And he was telling me step by step. He was like, you know, put this there. there. And I was like, and I was just pouring it, right? Because I knew what he wanted, which was the end result, drain spaghetti. And now I knew in his head, he was worried that the spaghetti was going to go through the, the colander holes. But I knew that those holes were smaller than the spaghetti because it wasn't the same as the one we got home. So I was like confident doing it. And and it just reminded me because I'm I'm sat there going, yeah, I already know that. Just don't tell me what to do sort of thing. Because I'm like showing him as well that you can that you know what you're doing. Yeah. And I was like, and it ended up being this whole frigging argument thing. And I'm just like, just trust that I know stuff as well. But also it reminded me of being a kid and also how I still am now. Well, it sounds like you brought a little bit of ego into the conversation. Which I've totally got ego going in. It's like, I already know that. I already know. You don't have to tell me how to do that. And it, they are the four most dangerous words in the English language. I, I thought you were going to say, which in, I only say it's interesting because it goes back to the limiting beliefs of what we can achieve. I thought, I didn't know what, what the four most dangerous words were going to be. I've not heard you talk about that before, but I would have made a guess of, I it, the, the four words would be, I can't do that. Oh, right. I already know that. But it interestingly links more to the limiting beliefs of what we can't do when actually we can do... So I, yeah, I was interested that you're, the, what the, word, the words you gave me weren't what I was expecting, but they're the opposite end of what we were talking about. It's either limiting belief or we think we already know it. And either, yeah, yeah. either way. And, but the thing is, thinking you already know something is limiting. It is, because of course it, it is. Of course it is. There's, um, I like my Powerballs. I haven't done one for a while, but there's one here. There's a power about the, do you know the Powerball of the Archer? let's call it robin Hood. it doesn't matter is a robin hood level skilled archer right goes to uh challenges a, a zen master to uh, a competition with it with the bow and he says watch this and he draws his bow and he uh, hits the bullseye on a first try and then splits the, the arrow again with the second shot and hands the uh the zen master the bow and says now you try and the zen master goes hold on follow me he doesn't draw his bow He's, he's undisturbed. He's pretty. He's zen, right? He's chill. Uh, so he asked the archer to follow him up a mountain. So he follows him up this mountain, and they go over rocks and they they pass chasms and they end up at the top of this mountain. And at the top of this mountain is a really flimsy uh, bridge and a, and a shaky log. And the master steps out into the middle of this unsteady bridge. It's got you know things missing from it and it's moving around and the, the rope's all frayed and it looks like it's going to go. It's really perilous. And he then draws the bow and he hits the tree on the other side. The bridge that's perilous and shaking around. Then he gives the bow to the archer and says, now it's your turn. The archer comes in, stares with terror, looks at the bridge and goes, uh, I, I can't do it, I can't do it. He couldn't even force himself out onto the bridge. And the Zen master basically says to him, look, you have great skill with the bow, but little skill with the mind that lets loose the shot. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. It's like, yeah, you can hit that in your little comfort zone of your great, yeah. but that's all in, in repetitive motion and skill. There's yeah. not saying there's no skill there. You have great skill with the bow, but not with the mind that lets loose the shot. And I think that's really quite powerful that you go up to a bridge and, you know, anyway, that was, the, which I also love, but anyway, I, I think I'm taking a slightly different learning from that. I was thinking like, it's easy to, you know, get what you want or hit the target when everything's going your way, right? When you're on stable yeah, ground. That but when, when life and life is like this, life is unstable. Life is shaky, but can you keep your focus? Can you keep the, your eyes on what's important to you when things are unstable? And this is why I teach in my yoga. I go, it's easy to do your meditation and breathing in the comfort of a yoga studio, 
But how easy is it to be zen when you're stuck in traffic and someone's cutting you up and your parents are annoying yeah. you and your kids are screaming at you? That's when it's important. Not I think when it's, the same, it's the same reading I get, really, which is I, I, maybe we're interpreting it as something different. I think we're interpreting it the same. Mm. It's when that carpet is taken from beneath your feet. Can you still control the mind whenever exactly. you're you know? Yeah, no, no, it's the same. It's the same. It's the same. I like it. It's good. Um, all these Zen masters, they know a thing or two, don't they? They do. Well, it's, you know, these go for all the dawn of time. One thing I wanted to come back to, I'm, I'm conscious of time, and I'm, I'm yeah. really enjoying today's chat. I could probably talk to you for, as well, I usually can, for a lot longer. But was it 18,500 seconds? Uh, eight, no, 86,400, I think. 86,500, okay, so seconds. I thought it was really interesting, and, you, you know, don't lose 10 seconds on something that's gone bad, which is, I I, I love that. Love, love, glad you reshared it, and I, that's something that resonates with me. I like those kind of statistical uh, things to think about. But what I was talking to, to my wife about recently as well is I have a, a an hour a week that I spend with my daughter. We go, we try and go bowling each week. And occasionally I'll say, oh, I'm not sure if I've got time this week. Mm. And I worked, uh, I can't actually remember the answer to what it was now, but the time I worked, how many minutes there are, and you'll probably know straight off the bat, in a, in a day versus how many minutes there are in a day versus a week. And how many yeah. minutes there are, I was like, wow, if I can't spare 60 minutes to do that, when you add up all the minutes there are in a week, every single week, then it's, the issue is never with time. The issue right. is always with me and prioritization. And actually, if that's one of the most important things in my week and we're, we're planning things, that has to be near the top of that thing. Yeah. Then everything else needs to shift to make sure I can accommodate yeah. that 60 minutes. And I I, I was just, it, it came, it popped into my head when you were talking about these 86,000 seconds. Yeah. Because often we hear people say, I just don't have the time to do the things that actually gives them the most memories, the most yeah. value, the most vitality, the things they really want to do. I haven't got time to go for a run this week. I haven't got time to take my kids to the beach. Whatever it is that works for the individual listening to the show, when you look mm-hmm. at it as, from a different point of view, which we talk about a lot, you know, my, my view out of one window would be very different to someone else out of another, but we're looking at the same thing. When you look at it at scale and you look at how many minutes there are and you break it down to realise how much you want to commit to that week, to that thing that for you is really, really important, whatever that thing is, there really is no excuse for not doing it. But because we don't look at it with that viewpoint, we look at it as the days already passing us by that we try and fit things in and we don't prioritize correctly. We don't do the things that give us the vitality we need in order to achieve the thing that's important to us. We let it pass us by. And we and that makes us negative. It builds those negative thought patterns we talked about earlier. It, it makes us resentful of ourselves and of others because we can't do the thing we want to do. But we're just looking, I just think often we're looking at it the wrong way around. And um, yeah, it, it, I think that eighty-six thousand second thing resonated from that regard. I know it's different because he was talking about. I mean, no- it, the, it is always about like no. Firstly, no one, no one has time, and no one can find time. You can only ever take time. You have to take something from something else. And so, I think it would be worth actually doing a, a whole podcast on prioritization, unscheduling, and things like that. Because unscheduling is a really cool concept, which I think. You know, I th- I'm not sure if you're familiar with it or not, but it's, it's this idea of scheduling in all the things that are important to you first before you schedule in your other bits effectively. But we can go into more detail on that on a proper podcast. Because if you say, and this goes back to values, because when I do values exercises with people and they say, oh, family is really important and health is really important. And then I say, okay, well, if you look at your hours in a week, how many hours are you spending with your family? How many hours are you spending on your health? And they're like, oh, and it's like, how many hours are you spend at work? Well, I'm spending 12 hours a day at work, six days a week. So, yeah, but you're saying that this is what's important to you, but then your actions are showing something else. So either 
what's important to you is not what you're saying or you're living out of alignment of your values, which ultimately will create um, stress. It will. It's inauthentic. It's not true to your values, your, your values or your beliefs or your authenticity. I think that's probably, probably worth another show. I was just there. I just worked out the calculation of how many minutes there are. And I, actually, the results are really interesting. I'll tell you for why. If I told you there were 10,000 minutes in a week, and I know you, you probably, you're quick at the math. You can get it really quick. And you've got to find 60 minutes in that 10,000. You had to allot all those 10,000 minutes up. Yeah. Things that are important would do that really, really well. And you'd maybe people say they haven't got time. But interestingly, I didn't know this. I've just done the math on my on my uh, calculator. There's 10,080 minutes. So that 80 minutes, I think, is really interesting. So surely everyone can use the 80 minutes to do something that's really, really valuable. And you've still got 10,000 minutes to do everything else. So um, I don't know. I, I don't know why that's yeah. important. I, mean, I look at that 10, 80 minutes. I have to yeah. be able to free up at least 80 minutes a week, right? Because it almost feels like they're given to me for free because 10,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 10,080, yeah, absolutely, right? And, and 60 minutes out of 10,000 is what, about 0.6% or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if you can't spare that, I mean, it's like um, I heard Arnold Schwarzenegger is talking about, he's like, he's like, oh, you know, you've got 24 hours in a day. If you have, tell me you haven't got time to work out, right? You've got like, eight hours at work you've got you know whatever six hours sleep and he goes well some of you are saying well i don't sleep six hours and he goes well what i would suggest is sleep faster or something like that but he he, he makes the point that if you if it's important enough for you you'll find a way right yeah. you either find an excuse or you find a way basically i agree i mean we, we are definitely off track and it's 100 my fault although i'll blame you for the 86,000 uh, second comment which i love <laughs> by the way. so uh uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take I'll take half the accountability for it. Uh, listen, yes. I've really enjoyed today's chat. It's given me some energy that I've needed because I am hungover and tired and uh, recovering yeah. from virus, which is arguably self inflicted by my uh, lack of attention to my. When are you own. back? When well, are you back home? Uh, we come back on Thursday, the thirty first. It's a it's a four a.m. start to get the ferry, and I'm oh. um, straight back into work. Following day, I'm at a part uh, an our annual work party uh, sort of celebration. Yeah. Oh, nice. Oh, you still have to come um, at some point. You'll have to come stay here because I um, I don't know whether you, well, well ideally it will be. You may be able to do our next recording, potentially, or the one after next at your house because I am in London for, and including a weekend, uh, I think, from the 7th to the 14th. So I'll get in touch because I think that weekend. Oh, dude. I mean, I, 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 might have a, I might have some people over on the 9th for a barbecue. It's my birthday on the 10th. So that'd be quite Perfect. cool. Well, listen, put me in for your birthday. I should be around on the tent. So that, that that sounds like a plan. Yeah, that'd be cool. And then we can hang out. We can, um, you know, you can live a little bit like I do in terms of the craziness and the smoothies <laughs> and the gym and all that. Amazing. Yeah. I, I can I can bring my guitar, mate, and uh, give you a... a, a I've got a guitar here, mate. I've got a guitar for you. My terrible yeah, butchering Springsteen's... Uh, Springsteen's uh... Neither of which I play. So <laughs> well, neither do I, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff, man. Good stuff. All right, listen, look after yourself. I'll see you when I'm back in the UK. Uh, thank you for listeners for bearing with the audio quality because I am in France with really bad internet. Yes. The audio should be back to normal from next. Stick with us and do connect with us online. Share these episodes with people as well. Where I'm the Thought Gym, you're Nick J Day, I think online. I on Nick J Day. And we, do have a, we do have a Mindful Pass. Uh... We do have a Mindful Pass Instagram, which uh, someone is kind kindly um, helping us out with. Vicky Graham is very kind of helping with this. And I, it's so bad on Instagram. I can't even remember our tag. Uh, you'll know what it is. I think it's mindful underneath paths, is it? Mindful underneath paths. It is. Let me find it. Oh. Hold on. 
It is for please follow us, mindful underscore pass underscore podcast on Instagram. So find us on that. Thank you, Vicky, for managing that channel for us. And uh, we'll see you online. Thank you for tuning in to the Mindful Pass podcast with Nick Day and Harry Kalimnios. We hope you found our discussion insightful and gained valuable takeaways to support you on your journey. Please, please, please do leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform and share an episode that's resonated with you with a friend or a family member who you think may also find it valuable. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to ensure you never miss a future episode. In the meantime, we'll continue exploring mindful path topics to provide you with more insights and ideas to support your personal growth. For now, thank you for your support and we look forward to bringing you the next episode of the Mindful Path Podcast real soon.